Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank and the General Building Contractors Association. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here's Matt Cabry. David Jeffries, president of Altus Agency. Thanks for joining us here on the Growing Greater Philadelphia. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your agency and some of the work you do in the LGBT community. Great. Well, I moved down uh, to go to school at Villanova um, a number of years ago, and I've been here for 32, so I've dated myself. I started the agency shortly afterwards, and about uh, 15 years ago, uh, to get to the point of our subject matter, uh, I was given an opportunity to launch the very first LGBT, which at that time was really just called a gay campaign for the city of Philadelphia, which was GPTMC at the time, and it's now become Visit Philadelphia. And I did that for Merrill Levitz, uh, who's just stepping down now off the, his head. And um, we garnered uh, one of the most successful uh, advertising campaigns in the history of the country. Uh, it's uh, third at this point uh, after uh, what happens in Vegas uh, stays in Vegas. And I love New York. And so get your history straight. And your nightlife gay still ranks up there with uh, $50 million plus publicity. And uh, Merrill compliments me every time I see her and says, it's the number one campaign we've ever done. So that was my big launch into LGBT marketing, and uh, I haven't turned around or stopped since. So that leads me, um, after about 15 years of all of that marketing back and forth, to the reality that I'm in today as executive director of the LGBT Meeting Professionals Association. We started that in uh, 2016, and I did that really basically out of a need for a client of mine that I had in Atlantic City, one of the counties that you guys cover, and they were looking to create an out initiative because they wanted to make the casino and Atlantic City come back to life from where it had been uh, many years before where Atlantic City was really the LGBT beach, the gay beach. And that was really at Park Place. And as an early young Philadelphian being a gay guy, that was the beach that I went to on a regular basis during the summer. So having some fond affections for that, I took the job and spent three years developing the out initiative for Brigada Hotel, Casino and Spa. One of the assignments was to get meeting planners in. And I said, well, that'll be easy. Of course, I know a lot of people in the business, and I've been in travel and tourism for 15 years, so I'll just call some of my friends. And uh, I started making those calls, and those calls ended up with, there is no organization like that that you're looking for. There are a lot of meeting silos. There are convention managers associations, meeting planners associations, catering and event planners, incentive travel associations, but not any of them were making uh, a space for the LGBT community. There were some small meetings and groups that happened at local bars when these uh, events occurred, conventions or association meetings. There was no professional networking organization that uh, could make people connect and, and get them to meet each other and speak a common language, speak common experiences, and talk about those efforts where the LGBT community was being welcomed. So um, I kind of kicked the idea around. I went online. I pulled a bunch of URLs off uh, in order to be able to create the online and the digital presence from my marketing background. And uh, 
I picked up the phone and called a bunch of people, and uh, I got a lot of support. So in the year and a half that we've been around, we went from zero to uh, about 650 professional members now, and uh, somewhere around 30, 35 uh, business sponsors. So we've been able to pull it together. This year, we will be at eight different events. We will have four major networking events, including one at IMEX, which is the leading meetings and events uh, association exposition, which will be held in Las Vegas in October, and we'll have five speaking opportunities. So we've just now formed our 501c3. We've created an executive board, and we have a board of advisors, and that tops out at about 13 people right now. You have clearly hit a niche that is untapped, and there's a clear need and a desire to have some sort of structure around this from a meeting and events planning perspective. So congratulations on having that vision, You know, whether it was by accident or whether it was, hey, here's an opportunity. I'm really going to take the ball and run with it. Uh, it was a little bit out of my personal need to satisfy a client, and when that became identified as something that the industry really hadn't supported – uh, then, yes, it became a lucky break and a great idea. Um, we've moved that forward since then because what we've really come to discover is that the LGBT community, which um, onto itself is a- about diversity and inclusion, could embrace the D&I conversation that's been growing so strongly in all of corporate America. It's about um, employment practices. It's about policies. It's about um, diverse vendor initiatives. And what we found was in the meetings industry, which is one of the most powerful places where messaging can be developed, there really had been no conscious effort to create or structure a voice where uh, diversity and inclusion could come to the table and could be represented. So um, we looked at a lot of other associations as we modeled ourselves before we began. And, you know, there's a a lot of smaller meetings associations that we would call special interest groups. Uh, There's the Black Meeting Planners Association. There's the Hispanic Meeting Planners Association. There's Women in Travel. And all of those groups have had a lot of struggle growing and bringing their voices to the table and becoming really a major impactful association onto themselves or making a difference within the meetings uh, industry or community. So we went about taking our model in, in the form of a collaborative effort where instead of creating an association where we wanted to stand out and create a member base that was about um, buyers, suppliers, uh, sponsors, members, that we would actually work with the existing meeting industry associations, Hmm. which was the first time that anybody had ever done that. So every single one of our events is being held within the meetings industry structures that exist today. And we're bringing the messaging of diversity inclusion. We're bringing the professional networking opportunities into these events. And we're partnering with them, which is really what we wanted to do from the very beginning when you think of diversity and inclusion. We didn't want it to be myopic. Mm-hmm. We wanted to consciously be going after inclusion and diversity. And I think if you're not consciously doing that on a regular basis, you're really unconsciously excluding that. And that's what we've seen for the most part in the meetings industry. It's predominantly the typical you know, Caucasian male gender leadership 
a lot of women coming into it. But the diversity part of it has been very challenged in terms of um, participation within these groups. So we've just just now completed our fifth appointment uh, for our executive board. We are we're led by Jim Clapes, um, but we have a very diverse board. In fact, we have more color and we have more transgender in our board than I believe in any board um, in any of the industry uh, associations that currently exist today. That's great. I, I want to delve in a little bit to the uniqueness of Philadelphia when it comes to not just the creation of the LGBT Meeting Professionals Association, but also the the launch of Altus as well, and your experience as a business leader. So you had referenced, um, you know, and take me back, if you will, 32 or so years or so ago. You know, a lot of folks come to Greater Philadelphia because of the um, the educational opportunities that are here, and they end up staying. It's transformative in their life. Um, and, and I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what your experience was when you came here, and then how you how you decided to start an, a, a small business, and uh, you clearly have been successful, but you were inspired in some way. And I guess where I'm going with all this long-winded question is, um, talk a little bit about your ability to start a business in Philadelphia 25 plus or minus years or so ago, and what the business environment was like then. You know, we did a TV commercial. We did the very first gay TV commercial for the city of Philadelphia, and that was really after we launched the very first campaign. And uh, the narrative goes, Philadelphia has a long history of being diverse and inclusive. And we wrote the actual script for the TV commercial, so I'm reminded of all that. When I actually started the business here, um, it was far easier than I had ever anticipated. I was working with a group that I don't believe is in business anymore, P&A, Peter and Allen Associates. They were uh, developing North Broad Street at that time. Uh, The buildings they were picking up were great quality uh, construction buildings that had just tattered themselves a little bit through age. They were very willing. They spotted the, um, the the office improvements and built it into the lease. So our first five-year lease, I walked into brand-new office space. Um, we bought our furniture at Ikea, which had just uh, – and became a client. Um, had just um, launched its first store in Plymouth Meeting. So uh, we were able to furnish our facility with brand-new furniture. And I had been a very successful sales guy for another organization, so I was really able to garner a lot of support. The only thing that I wasn't particularly proud of at the time was that my partner helped me start the business, and my partner was very uncomfortable. He was a little bit older than me, so we were in the closet. And uh, I officially had an outing uh, when the Philadelphia um, Inquirer decided they were going to do a piece on gay and lesbian executives. And uh, I actually brought the article here. And uh, and I, one of the things I was very nervous about was I had Chase Bank in Wilmington as a client at the time. It was our largest client. And I was a little bit nervous when the story hit the front page, which it was not supposed to be hitting the front page. And they used my picture on the front page. And I had a meeting later that morning uh, with several senior executives at Chase Bank down in Wilmington. And I walked in the door and they said, Dave, congratulations. We saw you were on the front page of the Enquirer. I had yet to see the piece yet. And they rolled it right out and they said, this is great. It's so nice that you just stepped up and came out of the closet. I think support in the city in general, I think the opportunities that have come my way have been um, magical. 
I think it's been a magical ride in 32 years. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of reinvention that occurs along the way in order to stay in the marketing field. You know, we used to have uh, boards with Ruby Lith and, you know, now everything's digital and it's downloadable PDFs and we're doing content and thought leadership marketing now and we don't do some of the stuff that we used to do, which was out of home and other things like that. But um, staffing has always been easy. I've always had great, I have this association with Drexel, um, I've had great interns along the way. I've had great staff along the way, and um, it's it's been a wonderful ride. I'm I'm enjoying all of it. That's good to hear because you know one of the things we tout when we talk about the assets of Greater Philadelphia is the talent. The talent that we have in the 11 county neighborhood of Greater Philadelphia is really compelling. Part of it's due to the the great um, university infrastructure we have here, over 100 colleges and universities that are really feeding a great pipeline of, of talent that's um, entering into the workforce, but also the ability to attract folks from outside the region who say, I've always wanted to live in Philadelphia. I find Greater Philadelphia a great place to to live, establish a business, or establish and grow a career as well. So it's, it's good to hear that. Yeah, well, and now that we're, of course, exploding as a city, and we're actually able to keep uh, a lot of the workforce that graduates, because I was part of that program for a brief period of time, I did some work with Penn, and one of the things that they were most concerned about was, uh, how do we market the city in a way in which we can keep all of our college graduates? And I had a small internship program with Penn at the same time that I've had the, the continuous one with Drexel, and um, I've learned quite a bit about you know the value of training folks and my apprentice that I brought in today, and you know what that can do for a person early on in terms of making their career the most successful it can possibly be. Absolutely, and and uh, we had a privilege to speak with Campus Philly, and you may be familiar with the work they've done, and uh, and being able to move the needle from about thirty five percent retention to about sixty five percent retention rate today, it's really incredible. They've done a fantastic job, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, um, David, I'd love to talk a little bit more about um, you know the whole notion, if you will, of um, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love how natural that was, if that's not too obvious of a question, especially with the launch of the campaign uh, that you had referenced. And just the, you know, the whole notion that Philadelphia has always been um, a welcoming place, uh, whether that's the national image or brand that is is consistently portrayed or not. Um, as a native Philadelphian, I have, I have always uh, viewed greater Philadelphia and the city specifically as a welcoming place. And I wasn't sure if you would agree with that, especially as you were going through the process to develop the campaign for an audience that, that may not have always felt welcome in every environment. Well, let me start by saying I love Philadelphia. I've never had a regret. Um, I moved in from Villanova, where I went to college. I bought the house that I live in uh, in Fairmount. And I've lived there for the 32 years that I've run the business. So uh, the neighborhood's constantly improved. I am an unofficial tour guide of the city of Philadelphia and big fan for marketing the city as I have had the opportunity. Uh, we've used the expression, it's the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection in all of the campaigns that we worked with, um, Visit Philadelphia. Of course, because I've been so involved in the tourism side and I've had a lot of hoteliers here, so I've been involved in the hospitality segment. I understand the hard work that's gone in to really turn the tourism part of Philadelphia around and make the city the attractive jewel that it really needs and deserves to be. Everything did really start here. And when we launched the campaign, 
we actually said freedom started here is going to be the headline. It ended up being get your history straight and your nightlife gay, but I really did believe that when we put that creative together and we used Betsy Ross sewing a gay flag and we used George Washington crossing the Delaware with a gay flag and we used Ben Franklin flying a gay kite. You know, those, to us, it really was a blend. And it was entirely up to me to come up with the concept of the campaign. It was taking the historical assets that the city had, and it was contemporizing them. And it was it was also working um, to create the positive image that had drifted away for a brief period of time in the city's history. I felt very strongly that that was the most important thing. And I know when I first came, if there was anything that I was combating, it was the city's own self-image of not being a great place to live. And I just never understood that from the very beginning. I thought, there's so much here that everybody should be proud of. Of course, it's all now changed, you know, now that we're the world champions of football. And uh, that's all icing on the cake, you know. I mean, I, I get the opportunity to drive past the museum every morning, and there's always a bus of Rocky fans. And I get that we're not just about Rocky and the museum, and we're not just about the Liberty Bell, and that we're really a, a city that's advancing in technology and it's advancing in its intellectual values and that we're, you know, we're yet to have a Michelin star, uh, which I think is really unfair considering there are 23 restaurants just opened last month and I can't get to all of them soon enough. But it's been a wonderful experience to be here. And three James Beard Award winners, for example, last year as well. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more about you know the, the fact that in being a native Philadelphia, and I see this, we are historically our own worst enemies. We are the folks who put ourselves down, who have the least amount of faith in our own abilities. Again, historically, to your point, that has started to change. And I wanted to come back to that. Was there a moment for you? that you saw that change really starting to take hold when Philadelphians started to say, we're better than that, we can do it, and their level of confidence and belief really started to shift? Um, I think the answer to that for me is uh, yes, I did. There was a moment. Um, there was probably two distinct moments. Um, one came earlier than the other because I had the opportunity to promote the city. And I had the opportunity to promote the city to the LGBT community. And I know how they felt about the way they had been handled in the early years when in the 60s they were coming out and the bars were just beginning to open and the neighborhood was not really named the neighborhood. It was, it was just that area there. And, you know, and it, it was a little bit of a rough area and there was some police involvement and it was rough. And, you know, I mean, I remember going to Equus and I remember there being several raids and, you know, so that... A, a less welcoming environment. A than less welcoming environment. That certainly <laughs> yeah. than today, there were no windows in the bars and there are now. Uh, and it's completely changed. And I think, uh, so one of the moments was when the Greater Philadelphia Tourism Council uh, was formed or caucus was formed. And that um, that was really the, the impetus for the gay uh, advertising campaign that GPTMC took on. And I remember Mickey Rowley, who uh, was involved in tourism for the state of Pennsylvania, uh, he sent me an email and he said, go, 
to this meeting and I went to the meeting and I, I met the CVB uh, representative and, uh, and GPTMC representatives there at the meeting and it was a bunch of hoteliers that were trying to turn around the notion that Philadelphia was not an LGBT welcoming city and yet it had the assets to create that. It had the ability. It was really the attitude that was missing. So I think that was the first time that I thought, wow, this is really encouraging and positive. And um, and then I think the next time was when the Inquirer reached out and said, we're doing a story on leadership from an LGBT perspective. And you're running a very successful advertising agency and you've done a lot of tourism work. Um, we've seen the work. The work's won a lot of awards. And, um, and we want to recognize you along with you know, a half dozen or so others uh, to be able to showcase that, um, you know, the LGBT community can make a contribution and can make a contribution in an open fashion. And it wasn't Mark Siegel calling to say we're doing a profile. I love Mark Siegel right. to death, but yeah. it was not Mark Siegel yeah. calling to do the profile. And, right? and, and my point is, it was, you know, quote unquote, mainstream media who was being more accepting and right. more um, inclusive and just treating everybody the way they would treat everybody else. It was the Philadelphia Inquirer. Yeah. What year was that? Do you remember? Uh, Offhand? About 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, Because I did want to come back to, um, and I know this is more of the creative process that you go through, but how did you get to get your history straight and your nightlife gay? Did Did it hit you like in a moment, you know, of that's it? Or did you spend uh, hours whiteboarding and, you know, had six different options? You had mentioned one before that really wasn't referencing any unique um, audience, um, but was pretty straightforward campaign. And the fact that it's the third most recognized uh, campaign in the country. Most award-winning. Yeah, exactly. Is, you know, significant and monumental. Um, But I'd love to hear how you got there. So um, all campaigns begin with a brainstorming activity. And we filled our conference room and we overflowed it. And we had a a lot of folks that uh, were part of the Philadelphia Gay Travel Tourism Caucus uh, that had been involved in this kind of grassroots movement uh, for the hospitality industry to try to drive more hotel business and try to drive uh, an LGBT friendly welcome for that business. Uh, And then we also had a number of other stakeholders from the agency that were involved in all of that. Uh, We downloaded some research that had been done on Philadelphia. We knew that the major assets were all historical assets. I also had had uh, at least 15 years, I guess, because it's 15 years back, so 32, 18, 17 years of being in the city. And I had been to every single historical asset that the city had at least several times when my family came to visit, anybody came to visit me in Philadelphia. I was always so excited. The fact that the Liberty Bell was used to be and was at that time actually in Independence Hall before they moved it. It was under the stairwell. You could just actually reach out and touch it, you know. So um, those things were a great thrill to me. So we knew that the campaign had to be based on the historical assets. We also knew that it had worn off its LGBT welcome. It had been roughed up, that there was uh, some concern about safety. And safety is one of the number one issues, especially for the lesbian part of the LGBT community. And so we knew we had to address that. The last part of it was um, we knew that almost everybody that came to visit Philadelphia that stayed overnight was looking for a nightlife experience. They wanted to go out. They wanted to connect. They wanted to meet others. You know, and we had uh, seven or eight significant 
clubs or bars. Uh, we had a couple of uh, lesbian bars, and we had a bunch of gay bars. I met my partner that I started the business with at a, a bar called Steps that um, used to exist up there around the merry-go-round. So when we put all those things together, and we did a little whiteboarding on that, um, we realized that whatever it was that we said, it had to have history in it, and it had to have nightlife in it. And bingo, it just came out. Mm -hmm. Why don't we just get our history straight? Because that was a play on words, because we were doing a gay campaign, and we'll get our nightlife gay. And that was it. We put that aside, though, and we said freedom started here because we felt that that was stronger. And it was about being free, and it was about being out. And we thought that that was a major part of what Philadelphia wanted to communicate, an out initiative. When we put that actually to the folks at GPTMC, they said, we love the campaign. You just have to change the headline from freedom started here to get your history straight and your life gay. And that was it. Yeah. And they were the client. And so we made the adjustment and the campaign rolled out. The client's always right. And in this <laughs> case, they really <laughs> were. They really were. <laughs> they really were, yes. So we like to think that, and we know for a fact, that Philadelphia and the region is really a city and region of firsts. First hospital, first school of pharmacy, first university. Is the Get Your Nightlife Gay campaign a first? Was it the first campaign in the country dedicated to LGBT? Uh, the city stepped up and, and actually put a million dollars on the table, uh, which is a significant commitment to that type of advertising campaign. Uh, and this was the very first print campaign of its size to market directly to the LGBT community and to market the assets of Philadelphia, which was, as the campaign unfolded, come and see our historical assets are our firsts as you're saying um that we have here and that have been here all along and then while you're having that experience go out and have a really great time because we really do have a community of lgbts that support your visiting and are worth you know connecting with on a nightlife type basis you know just making a comment on the firsts um everything did really start here so that's what drove the George Washington and the Betsy Ross and the Ben Franklin, because they're really all founding components of the people that drove the beginning of our country, which started here. Yeah, it's true. I love it. And I want to talk a little bit about, just for a couple minutes, how it all translates to business. So, you know, I know a lot of the convention and meeting plan or professional meeting planning space is about business. It's about convention business. But we also look to translate that into a company wanting to establish and grow their business somewhere in greater Philadelphia, whether it's Villanova or Glassboro, New Jersey, or here in Center City, Philadelphia. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how this all translates into a business environment that portrays a community that welcomes everybody and that, you know, regardless of the industry you're in and regardless of your orientation, Philadelphia is a great place to grow and start a business. Yes, it is. Well, I think it's a, it's been a natural transition from for me anyway from the beginning of the campaign 15 years ago, which uh, was perfect timing. People have been talking about reaching out and advertising. There was a lot of research that was already out in the marketplace that uh, the LGBT community was spending. I think at that time 65 billion dollars a year on the tourism level. 
the meetings part of it hadn't really been developed yet. But, you know, the concept that we're working on today now is a natural transition from that tourism piece, which was welcoming folks that were coming for business, stay an extra day or night. That fit in really well with the Philly sleepover campaign. We we came right behind that. Um, and then it really fed into what we're doing right now, which is the diversity and inclusion part of it. So diversity and inclusion, HRC 100 scores for CEI, these are things that uh, the young generation, the new generation, uh, I just pulled a piece out that was calling it by Pew, was calling millennials the next generation. Mm-hmm. That was a number of years ago that's now called the millennial generation. Uh, but, you know, they're looking more naturally at diversity and inclusion in the workspace and the way programs and policies and employee um, uh, association groups are put together. So this was the natural transition from a tourism uh, activity, which I had been involved in, to now the meeting side of it. The meeting side of it is really where the cities grow and prosper because that's where the real money is. Um, we have found that within the context of the LGBT Meeting Professionals Association, the most supportive cities are the, uh, the other tier cities, Birmingham, Alabama, um, Detroit, Michigan, uh, Macon, Georgia. These are cities that have a long history of not necessarily being welcoming. Philadelphia last year held four of the top 10 major LGBT meeting events, and we're going to hold another one this year, NGLCC. So Philadelphia has really established itself as a place where you're welcome, you're free. It's where liberty started. It's where freedom started. And now it's about diversity and inclusion, and we're incorporating all of that. The CVB has been amazingly supportive of the LGBT MPA and our work. And two of our board members are from Philadelphia uh, CVB. So uh, you know, it all kind of fits in together. The tourism, the business side of it, you know, that diversity and inclusion is, in fact, the way to be successful. Absolutely. And folks are learning that. If they haven't learned it already, they're learning it more and more every day. You're right. Um, what's next for... Um Altus, the agency. Um, You know, as with all marketing firms, we move and we move and we move. We can't stop at all. So we're doing a lot of thought leadership right now. I have two very successful Philadelphia-based companies, both of which have started here, both of which have grown significantly, and uh, we're doing content marketing and thought leadership for them. Excellent. So the future continues to be bright, not only for Greater Philadelphia, but for the Altus Agency and for the meeting and professional uh, planners uh, in the LGBT communities as well. Absolutely. I only need more time. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate your time, David. This has been a really great conversation. Um, David Jeffries, president of Altus Agency and executive director of the LGBT Meeting Professionals Association. Thanks for taking time out to join us on Growing Greater Philadelphia. Thank you. Hey, this segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to us by Independence Blue Cross. They're a proud sponsor of Select Greater Philadelphia. Independence Blue Cross is the largest health insurer of the Philadelphia region, serving more than 2.5 million people locally 
and 8.5 million people in 23 states and Washington, D.C. You can learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. Check out all of our podcasts and tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m. on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks so much for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia. 